Hey, it's your host Fei Wu, and you're listening to Conversations with the Superhumans, brought to you by Phase World. We have interviewed more than a dozen artists from Cirque du Soleil, Seven Fingers, Circus 1903, Cirque the Machine on the Phase World show. These stories were so well received that we decided to create this new show for you to binge and mingle with these superhumans. They will expand your horizon and make you rethink our mental and physical boundaries. These artists and creators come from all over the world and many walks of life, and they continue to travel, learn new skills and tricks. We talk about on and off stage, origin stories, training and breakthroughs, health and nutrition, and so much more. Most of them have side hustles too. Whether it's a street performance, they start with friends or working as a photographer, helping other brands. Now let the story begin with these amazing circus artists. Hey guys, welcome to another episode of the Face World Podcast. This is your host Fei Wu. I have Andrew and Kevin Atherton with me here on my show today. They're identical twin brothers, aerialists at Cirque du Soleil. I've known them for just about a few weeks, and we are good friends from the get-go. The art they created together on Cirque du Soleil moved me so much that I feel a kinship with both of them. Andrew and Atherton are living my childhood dreams. One of the many reasons I had to put them on my podcast. Did you dream about flying as a child? I did, nearly every single day. I loved reading comic books and imagined myself as a superhero. I often dressed like one too as soon as I came home from school. Recently, my mom and I went to see our very first Cirque du Soleil show here in Boston, and the show was called Verikai. While every single act was extraordinary, there was one particular segment that simply left both of us perpetually in awe. The two very similar-looking men flew across the entire stadium over the heads of thousands of audience, then balancing on their heads and hands 50 feet above the air. Their formations looked like paintings, statues, and art we had not seen anywhere before. They were superheroes to me. So during our one-hour conversation, we dove pretty deep into a variety of subjects that interested me a lot. What was it like to represent the UK in international gymnastics competitions, and how does it compare to performing for Cirque du Soleil in front of thousands of audience? The twins together performed over 3,000 shows alone, just on Verikai, never missing a single one. How was it even possible? What do they do when they get sick? Also, how do they communicate with each other on stage during the show, and what do they do if things go wrong? What was the transitions like going from gymnastics to performing arts, and what are some of the challenges they experienced, especially earlier on in their career at Cirque? With or without makeup, how does that impact their emotions and performances in front of the audience? What is the feeling the Athertons would like to leave with their audience? Last but not least, how do they prepare themselves before the show? I hope you enjoy this episode as much as I did. Without further ado, please welcome Andrew and Kevin Atherton. Hi, Faith. Oh Hi. my God! Hey, guys. <laughs> How are you? I'm doing great. 
This is the most exciting message. We're both here. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. So I am so excited to invite you to Face World Podcast. I have learned, I've spent the past couple of days studying your your resume extensively. I thought I had a really long resume until I saw yours. <laughs> My goodness. <laughs> um, we need headphones that you've got though. <laughs> <laughs> They're great. Yeah. So thank you so much for your time. I know this is right before, uh, not exactly right before the show, but you have a lot going on later today. Um, I was wondering, when you're going out and when you're introducing yourselves, to other people, strangers, for the first time. How do you go about that? Like, what is that you do? Um, I guess it's kind of strict, because most, most people know, around the world, know about Cirque du Soleil, so they know when we mention the word Cirque du Soleil, they have an idea what they do, but um, even when we explain what exactly we both do, it's very difficult for anybody to contemplate exactly what it is, because it's almost impossible for us to explain. But we have, um, you know, it's like, it's a dream job almost. That's what we consider it as our dream job. Wow. It's really, it's really incredible. People ask me, you know, why do you want to interview, you know, such amazing performing artists? And I realize for me, it's about interviewing people who are living my childhood dreams. And, <laughs> and it's really a privilege. Um, so before we get into Cirque du Soleil, uh, as I'm sitting here, I'm exactly, this is exactly a week and a half after my mom and I went to watch Verakai in Boston. It's <laughs> absolutely <laughs> phenomenal. And I have to tell you her reaction because my mom is a very successful artist and she was just screaming as part of the audience, like scaring children near us. And um, she was watching uh, the particular segment that you created and she said to me, she's like, wow, this is phenomenal and she 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 asked me she said i think you know i can see the intimacy i think there are lovers but that's mm-hmm. what mom that's like this beautiful love created um and i said i think there are twins you know and neither one of us was correct because we weren't actually watching you that day yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and and um, I, uh, before we get into the, the show business uh, in general, Cirque du Soleil, I want to go back to sort of when you were both little boys. And could you tell my audience a little bit about sort of your upbringing, family dynamics, and where you're from? Uh, we're English boys. Obviously, you can tell with the ac- accents from Northern <laughs> England, a small little town called Wigan. And um, I don't know, we're, we have an, an old, older sister, and we were both... Very, very active children, we were, we were told. Our, our, we drove our parents crazy, <laughs> and, uh, pretty much tear the house apart. Um, so from being quite young, they tried to channel the energy that we had into different sports. And I think we tried every type of sport. It was football, rugby, we did swimming, we went to dance, you know. And it was only when we did our first gymnastics class, we were at the age of seven, that that really... That really stuck, you know. Something re- it resonated in us both, and we, uh, we we were just hooked from from day day one. Our our eyes lit up, our heart there was so much passion there, and we never stopped from from our first class. I think I think we we quickly went up to training three times a week, and then it was five times a week, and then it was six six times a week, and we just we just loved it so so much. It was so much passion, um, and I think mainly because 
you never stop learning. There's always something new you can learn in gymnastics, and you can always push yourself that little bit further and 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 take it a little step up. So we just had a huge passion from the very very start, and um, yeah, like I said, we never ever stopped, and we were both very. Our, our schooling system supported it. Our parents supported it, and we just took off and off, and we just we just we just went crazy. <laughs> our parents were great because gymnastics is a, a very it's an individual sport. So literally, you're in charge of you know if you fail, it's your fault, nobody else's fault, uh, which I guess is what we liked. But our parents were very um, they were very adamant that they brought us up, even though we we're twins. They brought us up separately, so we we're encouraged at school. We had to do you know different classes. We're never in the same class together. Um, so we had separate friends in gymnastics. We travelled separately when it was individual. When it was part of the Great Britain team, we travelled together. So they just encouraged us that way, and I think that helped us um, both in our life. And then when further on, when we got to Cirque du Soleil, it really helped us um, create something magical that we did with right. Barakat. So one of the, you know, when as of yesterday, I started sourcing questions from my audience and. One of the first questions, many of them I couldn't think of myself. One of the questions is like, are you actually twins? And <laughs> so apparently in the U.S. There, there are shows where people call themselves twins, but they're actually not. So I was able to respond to that very quickly. That was yeah, really well, we funny. can definitely respond to that. Yes, we're definitely twins. <laughs> <laughs> Take a look at the pictures. Yeah, because um, yeah. people, when they come and see us perform, you know, we always get that question at the end when people see us after the performance. First thing they ask is, are you two twins? We say, yes, we're twins. And then they say to us, oh, that's okay then. <laughs> that's a very, very consistent reaction we get from our performance. That's like, okay and like, like you said, I think it was, it is because the act we created and the way we do it together, it is a very intimate act. Mm-hmm. For you sure. Know, so it's almost, it's okay the fact that it's between two twin brothers. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, this is the happiest conversation I've had in a very long time. Um, when, were the, uh, when I was watching the videos on your website, I just listening to you talk, and I realized, even though you're identical twins, you're actually very different. And we've exchanged several emails, uh, just me listening to some of the videos, your voices. I could very easily tell you apart, um, w- which is kind of phenomenal in, in, in itself, but you're both so competitive in gymnastics. So what, what was that dynamics like? What was the competition, not only with a sibling, but with a twin brother? Like, what are some of the things that I, you know, we, we don't know about? <laughs> it was great because like, like you said, we are we're very competitive, but it's a, a very healthy competitive nature that we both have. And not just with each other, but with everybody else. We, you know, we always want to be the best. But I think the fact that you have a twin brother who's equally as competitive as you are in a healthy way helps you, um, you know, improve yourself. So every 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 day in the gym, we always try to better each other. Uh, every competition, we're always trying to win each other. And it happened, you know, most most of the time, one of us would win a competition. The next competition, the other twin would win. And uh, that was never a planned thing. That's just the way it happened. Mm-hmm. So I think as far as in our life, and now like, we took it with us to Cirque du Soleil, it's a very healthy competitive nature we have. Mm. How are you guys the same and, and different when it comes to strength? And, um, uh, you know, I've, to me it's an artistry when it comes to gymnastics. And, and how, how are you guys different? And I think we're both, we're both extremely focused and we're both disciplined in our approach to 
to certain things. But I think the differences would mainly come in um, the attributes that we bring, I guess. Andrew's more the artistic type. He, all, he, he always was in, uh, in uh, school. He would be the one that would more gravitate towards the arts. And, uh, and me, personally, I'm, I'm the more um, the academic type. Me, I, I would love math, mathematics and, and really, really kind of analysing certain things. So those were the biggest differences that we noticed from day, day one. And those were the different strengths that we brought, we brought in our work. Mm-hmm. So when we did finally uh, join up and become a, a duo act, uh, it was those particular strengths that we could both bring to the table. And that helped an awful lot. And yeah, personally, yeah. I was the more extrovert. I was, was the more, when I was growing up, I was the more extrovert and Kevin was the more quiet. You'll thing. notice that Andrew talks more. <laughs> <laughs> I, I noticed that at the video, I noticed that uh, just by watching some of the videos. So, I guess. <laughs> so what... what, what what it really amazed me is uh, I had a very brief conversation with Andy or Andrew um, just last week, and uh, I'm originally from Beijing, China, and growing up, as you can imagine, we when we still watch a lot of TV, when it comes to the Olympics, I remember just with my parents, I'm the only child, by the way, uh, just watching Olympics and hoping the, the Chinese athletes would win basically in two categories. One is gymnastics and the other is ping pong, badminton. I, I don't, there's some many other sports we didn't really stand a chance uh, until more recently. So I, I remember chatting with Andy and you were, I believe you were competing in gymnastics, maybe you both, at some point in, in China. And were you beating China at the time too? I, I was wondering after I hung up. No, 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 I think the closest were the Russians that ever came close to China, but no, they're a pretty dominant force in the gymnastic world. They always have been and I pretty much think they always will be. One of, the, one of the early um, early memories that we have when we were uh, just starting in gymnastics was uh, watching a Chinese training video that had been smuggled out of China because they pretty they were pretty secretive then of their training, but it was such an impressive thing to see the the discipline that they had and the focus that they had and the regime that they had to train and mm-hmm. no one no one could compete with that. <laughs> oh, you're you're so humble. I we, we always we would always look at them and it was such an aspiring thing for us to to try and reach because they have so much style and so much grace and so much, it's, they're, they're, they're a beautiful nation to watch. Thank you, uh, on behalf <laughs> of my country. <laughs> I, I tried to, as part of my research, I looked up a number of videos on YouTube when you're both competing and it was just, it was just so beautiful to watch. Um, you know, it's something that very, I remember going to school, uh, a big school of 2,000 kids. It was just less than a dozen kids who would just go through gymnastics routine training. And it just the, how early they wake up in the morning uh, as little kids, like four or five in the morning. And their parents have to basically arrange their schedule just so that everything in their lives accommodate these training routines. Um, I, I was wondering, what, compared to how kids are training for gymnastics today, compared to um, sort of the regimen that you went through, what are the same and what, what's different these days? I think now, in uh, especially in um, Great Britain, the regime's a lot more, they have a lot more support than when we was um, junior gymnasts. I mean, our support basically came from our parents. 
they were phenomenal. Like you said, they, they basically worked their schedule around taking us to the gym, picking us up from the gym. Mm -hmm. You know, everything, they, they worked basically to pay for our, our training, which wasn't cheap at the, which wasn't cheap at the time, but they just, they just saw the passion that we had and they saw that we had, you know, it was a dream to go to the World Championships and things like that. And they supported it. But now the system is, it can be, it's a very centralised system, you know, supported by the, the governing, like, you know, the national lottery grants and things. So it, it, it helps because then you don't have that concern, that worry anymore, you know, the, um, you know, the, the money, the money is coming from the government. So they have, they have a, an amazing support system. It's very similar to what I heard interviewing uh, a, a gentleman, one of my uh, Taekwondo instructors who was on the U.S. team back in the 80s. He also mentioned very much the same thing of having to pay out of your own pocket through travel expenses in order to compete. And um, I forgot to mention at the very beginning that I've been training in uh, Taekwondo, which is a Korean form of martial art for about 13 years. Uh, my, my training routine is nothing comparable to <laughs> <laughs> it's like taking lessons, but I absolutely admire just the amount of discipline, um, the, the concentration and focus, perseverance more so than anything else. Um, we can jump right in. I have so many questions from my listeners, uh, well. <laughs> from my Facebook fans, uh, one of which I've been contemplating for a long time is on Verikai, and that is the first show that you uh, performed, actually created for Cirque du Soleil, and you performed for over 3,000, I believe 3,033 shows without missing a single one. Yes. Well, I need to pause that for a second because <laughs> <laughs> I was thinking any sportsman, whether it's baseball or basketball, you got to take a day off. I mean, you might get injuries, you might not feel well, you might get sick. I mean, how, how was that even possible for eight, ten years straight? We had, we had all those. We were injured, we were, we were sick, and uh, we had it all. And we did go through days where we would be in work and really feel that you could not possibly go on stage. But I think as soon as we stepped foot on that, that service delay stage, as soon as we passed the curtain to walk through the forest, all that went. Wow. Regardless of how you were feeling backstage uh, and how bad you were feeling backstage, it just all went and we had so much joy and so much love for going to perform mm -hmm. that particular show and that particular act that it really it really was not as difficult as people would think because it was just it was just such a um, it was just such an, an, an easy thing to go out there and to feel the audience and just to pick yourself up and do that again and again, night after night, and we just loved it. Not once have we ever been out there, even to this day, have we ever been out and not wanted to be there. I mean, I, mean, I remember yeah, yeah, we even had one, one story when Andrew was backstage, and I think he'd been quite, he'd been quite sick for quite a few days, possibly a, maybe a week, a week yeah. uh, and, he, and he had dehydrated himself so much because he was so ill. That they had to just before the show, they had to pump two two bags of um, fluid in into him. So he was backstage on an actual drip because Andrew was determined he was not not going out during that that particular show because he he just had a drive to do it. So the the physio said, "Yeah, okay, we we can give you the fluids and you can go out and perform." And he did, and it was a it was a great great show. And then as soon as the show finished, I think he crashed. But <laughs> My goodness. So, 
<laughs> but but Kev, that's also your life on the line as well. And I, I, don't, uh, I don't for one minute doubt that you wouldn't put my life uh, wow. first. I feel 100% safe. <laughs> and we used to be able to communicate, you know, and it, was, it wasn't even a word. You could communicate with each other with the eyes during the act. So at one point when we knew when one, one of us was ill and the other one wasn't, it's not just that person, it's not just the other person that's ill that has to change what they're doing, it's the person that we're working with. So if Kev wasn't feeling well, I had to alter, I had to change the way I was performing. Obviously, I couldn't perform to my 100% because he was going to suffer because of it. So we had to bring down our performance and just, and then it became, and it became almost just as beautiful an act. Wow. You know, because what the, the what we was doing then was was real, and we do we do communicate a lot during the act. How do you do that? How do you well, how do you signal? How? Do... Yeah, most most people say, do you communicate by talking? One every now and again, if something drastically goes wrong, I, I will just say, are you okay? And he says, yeah, and then we continue. Uh, but most of the time, it's with it's just with, with a touch, feeling, or touch, touch or yeah. feeling. Yeah, so we can literally change what we do with our hand or what we do with our leg to signify something's not right and we'll fix it straight away. Wow. So I can, there's even been times where Kev's not even touching me and I know something's not right and then, so I have to, then I'm, then I'm prepared for something to happen that's not going to happen, which generally does, but I know before it's going to happen. When we, when we first started to work as a duo, it was, it was relatively hard because we were so used to working on our own. Mm -hmm. Um, and we were responsible for our own movements and our own mistakes and things. So when we started to work as a duo, it was difficult for us both because you're really relying on somebody else and you're trying to unify yourself and become one, one, one person. And I would say about three or four months it, it took of a lot of fighting, a lot of... <laughs> but then we finally, we finally clicked and we did begin to feel that we were working as one, one body. So even when I didn't see, as Andrew said, when I didn't see him, I, I, I knew what he was doing because I, I was just part of that. So, uh, and after what we've been going 15 years now, it's, it's second nature, you know, we just, we just do it, we just know. <laughs> I'm so glad that you, you brought it up because one of the questions, just listening to one of the videos, was that you had some struggles earlier on uh, being from, going from solo, uh, you know, performing artist to a combined duel. So what are some of the earlier struggles that you had and how, how did you overcome that together? I think at the beginning, it was what it was when we first joined Cirque du Soleil and they were amazing. We didn't know at the time, but basically what they brought us in and there was, a, I guess, 50, 56 artists coming to do an intense training with Cirque du Soleil, which involved acting, singing, dancing uh, and a specific act that they were brought there to create. When me and Kev came, everybody had something to do. Mine and Kevin's schedule was blank all day, every day. We was we was a little confused and we said, you know, <laughs> why are we here? And they basically put us in a room by ourselves and said, work together. And they did that for, I think the first three weeks, we just went into a room by ourselves with nobody around us and said, work together. And it was amazing because, like Kevin said, I think the beginning for the first Maybe the first week or so, we would train together for. We might make. We might have made ten minutes. <laughs> that, we would split up and go to our comfort zone, which was I would go in the one gym and train by myself, and Kev would go in another gym and train by himself, and then we'd come back and you know talk about it. It was terrible, but after. After a week, we started to be able to work together, and then it took several months before we could really 
really gel. But certainly knew that. Certain Soleil obviously knew that. They knew we'd come from gymnastics. They knew they wanted us to be together. So it was almost like a military style. There you go, get in the room. And it was it was a, a strategy of uh, to do that. They wanted us to to begin to learn to work as a, as a duo. And there's only one way you can do that, and that's begin to work as a duo. So, how, how do they know that? Are, are you the first twin they, they had? Or no, no. Circuit have had many, many twins, and quite some famous twins, so they obviously knew. You know, I think they've always worked, the other twins have always worked as duos, though. Mm. Maybe. Ever come from gymnastics. We were the before, first. before they brought us to Cirque, they would send casting scouts to, to the National Sports Centre, so they, ob they observed our training. They knew that we were very much uh, uh, by ourselves the whole time, and it was so they did. They must have recognised that we needed to learn that that particular skill, and it is a, a skill. So we needed we needed to learn it. So that was the strategy they had for the first few weeks: uh, throw them in a, in a room and make begin to work as a duo. <laughs> Love that. Speaking of the formation training, I did my homework. I know that's what it's called. Um, I, I'm so intrigued by your 17-year gymnastics career, and that in itself is extremely impressive, 17 years. And after that, since then, you've had 15, I believe, 15, 16 years in Cirque du Soleil. And, and tell me about the transition, because I am so fascinated by the evolution of gymnastics that you've created and kind of transition into performing art and what was that decision like and what was that transition like afterward the decision at the beginning was it it, it was um it was a long process you know so Slade contacted us at the age of 20 years old i believe was in a world championships in china in tianjin and we'd never heard of such Slade before you know we've we'd i think people might have mentioned it but we it never really clicked they come and spoke to us, gave us leaflets, and we just said yes. We'll we'll look at this. We'll look at this company. What it what it's about. And but we wasn't ready to finish our gymnastics. Mm -hmm. We still had we still had ambitions, and we still wanted to go go places with our sport. Um, so we just said to them, "We'll contact you when we feel that we're ready." And we never really thought about it again then. But um, it was at the age of twenty four. Wasn't it? At the age of twenty four, it was a time when we were both ready to finish. Our gymnastic career, and um, at that point, we contacted Certus Lay and said we're ready to come. And the the thing was, we'd spoke about it maybe a year building up to that, and we knew exactly what act we wanted to do with them. Mm -hmm. We knew we wanted to be together. We knew we wanted to do an aerial act with them. Um, so we were very lucky, and we had an idea when we got there what we wanted to do. But we're even luckier the fact that Certus Lay allowed us to do that, which is not very often. Normally, in Certus Lay, they bring you in to do a specific act. They need a, sort of, a person replacing the need in certain acts that they already had. We was lucky in a way that uh, we're creating a new show, which was the first show they created in three years. Three years, yeah. And um, they brought us in to create this show with them, and they knew we wanted to do an aerial act together. So we were fortunate enough that we were given that playground to go and create this act with them. Well, just just to go just to go back to the the gymnastics. Gymnastics is very. It's a very disciplined sport. It's it's a very regimented sport, and there's there's so so many rules. You know, you've you've got to do things in a certain way, yeah. and there's a code of points, and everything's done as a, a specific way. Most people do it the same way. Uh, as soon as we came to serve, all those rules were thrown out of the window. So again, our comfort zone was was very much in doing things a certain way, and so they bring you to the formation training, and 
they recognise that an acrobat's life is very much like that. It's very focused and disciplined, and they break all that. So you you begin a formation training, and as Andrew said, you will begin to to do acrobatics in, a, in an artistic way and they really push that and then you will start to learn to, to move in ways you've never moved before, you never thought the body was possible to move like that. Yeah. Um, and singing and dancing and it's, it's really not a comfortable thing, they kind of throw you in, in the deep end and make you work at that but that was the transition that you have to go through to be, to come from an acrobat to an artist mm-hmm. and, and it took about six months, six months of in, intense training with them. To, to break that gymnast mold and start to develop an artist. I think even after maybe five, no, three years of being on Barakai, performing with Barakai, me and Kev used to talk to tell our coach because she used to call us artists and we said, look, we're not artists yet. Yes. <laughs> and we used to, we, like, we said, there's, there's still so much to learn. We have so much to learn yet. And there's people out there that have been working with Cirque du Soleil for 15 years. Mm-hmm. We classed them as artists, but we always looked up to these people and even now they're still the same people that we still look up to and we still strive to be like them. Who are well, some I, other people? Well I mean the, the mo- one of the most important ones was a, a guy called Eve Decost and he was he created the statue act which was in um, Kidam at the time. Kidam was one of our first shows that we'd ever seen. Mm-hmm. I think that act it, it resonated so much with us as soon as we saw that act it was the, one of the first shows we saw live and we saw that act and we both we both just stood there with our mouths open with the goosebumps just watching this guy and this girl doing the most amazing things. <laughs> and we found out who the guy was. And he was actually when we when we came to do the maybe the Barakai the formation training. Formation training, he was in the gym. Mm, and wow. we didn't we kind of recognised him but we didn't know it was exactly him until we started to speak to him. And then once he started to talk to us about his career, where he'd come from, where he was going, you know, he he's just the experience he had and the knowledge he had. And even now we listen to things that he told us then that keeps still, going. He still compete. I think at that time when we met him, he was probably in his uh, 40s, mm-hmm. early 40s, and in the most amazing shape. You would never know. Mm-hmm. The most amazing shape. Really health, healthy looking, really a really beautiful guy. Uh, now he's, he's, still, he's still performing with, with Cirque. And he, I think he's 55. Yeah. And he's still performing this beautiful act with, uh, I think he's on a different part, partner now, but uh, it's so amazing. And that, that was the inspirational thing for us to see somebody like that who still had so much passion and so much drive and the artistry in, in him. Mm-hmm. And he can still do it at this age. So mm-hmm. we looked up to him so, so much then and we, we still do now. I, I cannot believe that you two are not 16. I mean, with the, with the bodies you have. It's, it's incredible. And I was telling Andy last week that when I share with some of the uh, ladies in my office saying that, you know, everybody, a lot of us went to see Cirque du Soleil, I said, I would like to pitch my podcast. And when I show them, show some of the, the women the picture and kind of your work, they're saying, oh, that's incredible. I'm so glad. I can't wait for the conversation to be released. And when I show the same pictures to the, to the men in the office, they're saying, look, Faye, if I don't have to work here with a full-time job, I will look just like that. You know? <laughs> so, yeah, we're, we're lucky that this is our work. Is Obviously, it does help <laughs> us to stay fit because when you're going on stage every night, twice a night, in front of two and a half thousand people, you don't want to look. You don't want to look bad. <laughs> but then your face is covered. You know, you're always wearing. You know, obviously a lot of makeup. There are always masks. Do you think that's different than? And I know in your other shows that your your face, your features are fully shown. 
what what is that difference? I feel like for me, I, my self esteem will self, somehow be preserved if I if somehow I'm covering my look. Or does that impact you at all? I mean, this is a silly question, perhaps. I think the the makeup plays a huge part, really, because it's part of the the, the transformation of your regular self to the to the version of you going out on that that stage. So it's it's everything really from the costume, but the makeup it just plays a huge role in in Cirque, and they um they really. They're, they're, they're really specific on how well you do that because, and you do notice the difference when you see yourself performing without makeup mm-hmm. to when you see it with, with, with the makeup. So the audience feel that too. So yeah, it's definitely part of the, the, the transformation of the Allerton twins off stage to the Allerton twins on. How, yeah. how do the audience react differently? Makeup versus no makeup, you think? Well, we'd never go out without makeup. They wouldn't allow it to <laughs> They would not allow it. You know, like, and like Kevin said, every now and again we've done kind of a TV segment without makeup. Mm-hmm. And um, it's a drastic change because just in ourselves, we can tell, we can tell it's almost like if, if you haven't got makeup on, you're faking it a little bit. Because mm-hmm. you, you transform yourselves into the character that they want you to be. So we, we would always, always wear makeup. Even if they ask us sometimes not to, we still would put a little bit on. Mm. Just so we feel like we've made that transformation, and I guess the audience feel that you, the, these these artists are going out there performing superhuman feats. That they don't really want to have the perception that they are human. They're almost non non human. So the makeup helps with that one too. Yeah, <laughs> it's it's so funny. I feel like Kevin is like a mind reader. Instead of sometimes, oh, let's dive in deeper. Maybe let's dissect this question. And you're already <laughs> dissecting that question for me. <laughs> Love it. It's so easy. This is like the easiest interview ever. Uh, <laughs> So one one of the things I um, a week and a half ago that when I watched the show somehow that weekend I had my personal sort of existential crisis saying oh what's the meaning of my life at uh, this weekend doesn't quite you know we all have those moments of saying like should I read a book what am I doing with myself um, and and that, at that point my podcast that particular episode is doing well so it should be like completely more than enough to cheer me up so I went to see the show and I was sitting in the audience. And the, the only moment I just completely forgot about all my problems. And it is really magical. I just felt so peaceful, so at ease, and thinking how easy my job is. I mean, my job is a joke in comparison to this. Um, what, is that, what is the feeling through your act, many shows that you create on your own, what is that feeling and, and sort of spirit uh, you would like to leave with your audience? Um, well, for us, I mean, for us personally, we and we talk about it all the time. Is we always go back to the first, our first sort of late show that we sat in the audience. We didn't know too much about the company, and then we sat there waiting for obviously the show to begin. And then the first character came on stage. I don't, I can't remember exactly what the character was, but we both just sat there. We didn't say anything to each other. We just sat there and watched the show. But I think from that moment, we knew then. This is what this is what we're going to do. Spend the rest of our life doing because the feeling we got from them, especially once the show started, like Kevin said before, we got the goosebumps, the excitement. We forgot about all of our outside lives. It was just what was happening on stage. Now that was the most important thing. And at the end of the show, once the show finished after the applause, we just sat in silence. We didn't really discuss it with each other. But only later on, a couple of maybe a couple of hours later, then. We both started to talk. Was you feeling what I was feeling? And yes, this is what we want to do. So now, when we go on stage, every single time we go on stage, like even if we're ill, we don't fit. You know, we we have injuries and things. 
we always take ourselves back to that moment and we know that there's somebody in that audience, there's probably many people in that audience that have never seen a Circus Late show before mm-hmm. and have definitely never seen what we do. So we perform for them. So every single time, that's our inspiration. We're performing for that person that, you know, has never seen a show or they've got something bad happening in their, in their lives mm-hmm. and we're going to try and make them feel happy just for that just for that two hours they're in that theatre with us. Mm-hmm. We regularly, regularly receive emails about it from people that have seen us perform and said it's changed their lives. Wow. You know, and some very, very, you know, beautiful emails that, re- and it helps us a lot. Mm-hmm. Wow, that's, that's so amazing. And I, I love the fact that you were among the audience and you look at the act saying, I, I can probably do, this is what I want to do. I can replicate this. And, and I personally couldn't do that myself, so this is my way of sharing my experience with the world. And we, we always do that now, even in every show we have done, in every performance we've done. Um, five minutes before the performance starts, Andrew and I will go to a safe place where we can go and view the, the audience, and we'll just feel that for the, first, for, for the five minutes. That's, that's part of our, our preparation for the show. We like to go out and just feel the audience and, and take a quick look just so we can we can see who we're going to be performing for. Wow. And that obviously brings we bring and we kind of bring them on stage with us because of that. Wow. And so regularly I'll pick a I'll pick a person. Saying <laughs> <laughs> I'll look around the audience and I'll look and it's <laughs> every day is different. They don't see me, but I'm just peeping through that hall. And every day is different and it can be it's not a particular type of person, but I just see something. Wow. in that person and I don't not really know what it is and that's who my performance is for that night. I love that. It's that should true. be the title of the book. You, you should absolutely <laughs> write a book. But. It, it, but it does help because it's like you said, because sometimes you can lose the fact there's two and a half thousand people there. You can lose that intimacy but you, you always, especially with the act we want to do, we want to keep that intimacy. Mm-hmm. So instead of it being a relationship between each other, which it is, we then have a relationship with somebody or a few people in the audience and bring them onto stage with us a little bit, which wow. helps us, I'm sure it helps them. It's so cool because when I was sitting in the audience, there was a, a guy, crazy costume, totally winked at me. I was like, Mom, did you see that? He was totally looking yeah. at me. Uh, it was super cute. I, I had no idea. When you get on stage, however, do you see, is there anything that you see among the audience which is completely like pitch black? What was that experience like? Every show has been slightly different. With the show we're doing now, it's uh, we take them by by surprise. They they don't expect to see us fly because they've set it up in a certain way where we're kind of hidden, and then we will just fly over the audience of the audience's heads. So there's always that gas. There's always a gas. But as soon as the performance starts and the house lights come up or the show lights come up, we can we can generally see at least the first first few rows. And like Andrew said, we really do take the moments to look at them in the eyes, you know, and we even smile now, which we never, we kind of smile, so it's, it's uh, yeah, wow. it's, it's, it's very nice, nice for us, and we do see an awful lot, because we, we, we're pretty high, so we get the, the global uh, mm. perspective of the audience. Wow, so. I, I remember watching the Academy Awards, uh, you know, show, I, I was just, I, I was completely blown away and I remember just for me personally in the show when the two guys were flying I remember just like trying to block just you know it's just like I need to catch them there's an urge in me and and uh, and I remember watching the Academy Award show 
just Brad Pitt or I don't know who else was in the audience, which is with their mouth open, like zoomed in, super close. It was crazy for us because, believe, and that was the, that was our theatre. We'd been performing in that with uh, the show uh, in LA for maybe a year at that point when we did uh, the Academy Awards. And again, uh, like I said, before we performed at the Academy Awards, we went to the edge of the curtain, we looked out. And in my life, that is the most nervous I have ever been. My, not just my hands, my whole body started to shake. And I could not stop it from shaking. And I'm like, oh my God, I'm going to go out and perform in like five minutes and I can't stop myself from shaking. And it's because I saw the likes of, you know, Angelina Jolie and Brad Pitt in the front row. And it, yeah. then suddenly it's like, okay, we've got this one opportunity and there's billions of people watching at home. We cannot mess this up. Mm-hmm. We never think about that. We never <laughs> once go on stage thinking, "Oh, we're going to mess this up for that one night." Mm-hmm. Uh, that's all I was thinking about. <laughs> really? You don't you don't look like the nervous kind type to me at all. Like I said, never. I never get nervous. You know, <laughs> I might get a little bit like excited if my family is watching because I want it to be beautiful and perfect. But yeah, this particular night, I was nervous. <laughs> wow. I- uh. I saw like an extreme level of comfort with everybody performing in that theater and you just clarified sort of uh, the mystery yeah. for me. I guess that's what makes like the difference with the performer as well. Yeah, we were shaking, we were nervous, but you never show that on your face or, mm-hmm. you know, it's only when you go back afterwards, you're like, oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> so the five minutes you're performing on stage, one of my listeners said, um, what are you doing for the rest of the show? Uh, other than checking out the audience, pick out one person, is there anything else that you do while waiting for your for your spotlight? Again, every every show has been different. This this is one one show we do have a little bit more time. The other shows we would have cues and we would have things to do throughout the show mm-hmm. on top of our act, and we never stopped. And we both quite like that. You know, we like to do a 90-minute show. In, in, in Iris in Los Angeles, we were, we were the first act to go on stage. So we would be all warmed up and prepped and we would go and perform our, um, it was six minutes then, six-minute act. And as soon as we exited the stage from the act, we would run to our dressing room to do a quick change, to go back to the stage uh, to perform an, another cue. And it was like that for 90 minutes. Mm-hmm. We would finish the 90-minute show and we were sweating. And we were, yeah. But we both loved that. You know, we love we loved to um, kind of worked hard. <laughs> Mm. Uh, this this particular show we're doing now, we have a little bit more time because we're um, they, they added us slightly late, so we're going to do our five minute act, and then on top of that, I think we have three more cues yeah, throughout the whole show. So you do see us pop up from from time to time. You might not recognize us because we're in different costumes, mm. but yeah, we do have a lot more to do. Well, when you're in different costumes, you mean you're also have other? Are you basically? Different characters. We're playing different roles. Playing different yeah. characters. Different roles. So, like Kevin said, in in Barakai, wow. from the start of the show to the end of the show, we never stopped. You would have seen us in almost every single act, working, performing, and then it was almost it was almost our act was the the easiest part of our show. Mm-hmm. And it was like that in Barakai. It was like that in Iris. You know, we worked a lot outside of doing our our act. I think in I think in. Um, Barakai, we performed in three full acts from start to finish, and then in Iris was the same. Wow. So you have, I couldn't believe this until I started chatting with you guys, that two shows, you work more than I do, and you're physically much more demanding, mentally too, uh, two shows a day, five days a week. And how do you find time to 
you know, kind of work out, take care of your uh, personal stuff? I mean, like, how does that how does that schedule and how do you stay in shape? One of the questions is when do you find time to work out or perhaps the show itself is your perfect workout? That's, that, that's where our gymnastics background comes in very, very good because we're always, uh, like you said, the, the gymnastics lifestyle, we we'll always wake up at six, we'd be in the gym at seven. Wow. Uh, and it, was, it was three training sessions per day for seven day training. So after doing for 17 years, what we do now is a little bit uh, of an easy, <laughs> easy lifestyle because now we'll go to the gym. We're retired. Well, <laughs> now, now we go to the gym and we usually go about nine o'clock in the morning because we like to get up and get our bodies moving and we'll do one hour of a workout and that to us is very easy <laughs> because we're used, cause we're used to so much more. So we'll go and do the one hour workout pretty much every day and that, that keeps us healthy. The personal stuff, you just find time, don't you? Yeah. You have to. I mean, it's like most things. The, we only go to work now here in Las Vegas, around uh, about the show calls at five. So we'll go to work at five and we'll do the two shows and we'll be off stage by 11.30. Wow. So during the day, we have a bit, a, bit of, a bit of time to catch up with our personal lives and our extra training. Mm. So what, what, I, have a, I have a family now, a little girl and a boy, so that they take up most of my time. Wow. What is your, what is your, one of the questions we love asking is the routine question. What is the first 60 minute of your day like, you know, what do you, do you, what do you read? How do you, do you meditate? How do you kind of just kind of peel off from the acting world, performing arts to kind of isolate yourself? We're both different again, but we're we're both also very similar. I think we we do wake up very early. It's Mm -hmm. around 6.30 in the morning. We'll, we'll wake up and at that point we're both just you know we catch up with our email we all have a lot of emails so we'll try and catch up with them and reply back to them as most as much as we can and just do things on our computer then we'll generally go to the coffee shop and you know go and sit and have a coffee and chat with our friends there and uh, it a, little, my a little bit of a different thing to Andrew and myself compared to most of the performers at Service Ladies we're very much morning people mm-hmm. most of the, the people that we, that we work with uh, they're energized so much after the show and they'll have to go out and they'll have to, to do everything after the show. Andrew and I don't. We, we finish the show, we, we come home, we really find ourselves relaxing quite quickly and we'll go to sleep because we, we wake up at 6.30. We always have done, we, we always will. Mm-hmm. And that's our, that's our time, you know, we, we like, we like the, the, the morning vibe, we like the morning people and it really, it really gives us a chance to, like Andrew said, catch up on our emails and things like that. It's that that is the time that's most valuable to us throughout the day. Mm. Do you meditate? Do you? I know uh, both of you probably like to bike a lot. What are your interests outside of, you know, uh, working and working out? That kind of calms your mind. Uh, it, again, it depends because, like, recently I've changed a lot only because of my family. You know, I've got, I've got like, young children now and things. So m- I guess my meditation is the first thing in the morning when I wake up and it's quiet. I come downstairs, the house is quiet. Because my wife always asks me, why do you wake up so early? <laughs> it's probably the only time from 6.30 to 7 maybe that I get 30 minutes of time that's just quiet for me to do what I want to do. Mm-hmm. After that, as soon as my, uh, you know, the family, the kids start to wake up, then mm-hmm. all my attention focuses on them. Mm-hmm. So my meditation is that, you know, just, oh, if I go, at the moment I've got the grandparents here, so I can go and 
take a bit of time for myself as well at the coffee shop. Mm-hmm. Nice. What, what about you, Kev? Uh, I uh, do all that. I like I like to meditate. Um, mm-hmm. Pretty much my state of mind, I try and keep it as stress-free and as calm as I possibly can um, throughout the whole day, even even during the show. That's that's very much important to me. I don't like I don't like stress. I don't like so I I, I do all that. I like to, I like to go to the cafe. I like to read. You know, I like to meditate by myself out by the pool, which we have a beautiful pool, so it's not hard. Yeah. <laughs> And I like I like to bike, and I love I love to I love to walk in, in nature, scuba diving. Also, mm-hmm. I like all that. Nice. We have an amazing balanced life, both of us. Yeah, you know, everybody all people have said that to us how how balanced our lives seems to be, and I don't know. We both always felt that was an important thing to balance not only your professional life but your personal life too, and to not go too extreme on them both because. That's a problem that people can genuinely have, and that can affect so many things, your health and things like that. So we do really focus on having a balanced lifestyle, and if that balance starts to go out of sync, uh, which life is life, it, it can do. We'll we'll generally try and pull it back and just just create that uh, that whole balanced life. That's beautiful because you know again 17 years of gymnastics 15 years of such extreme art and performing art I think one of the reasons correct me if I'm wrong that you're able to do this for this long is because you've always led a balanced life or lives together separately Um, Wow, what are what are some of the questions especially in your position you've gotten a lot of emails from fans Just, just to add to that, we're actually just going to shape that up because uh, <laughs> we came here to Vegas um, and we, we started to perform in, in, in Zarkana, which we're performing in now. And quite quickly we both realized, okay, it's a little bit too of a, a comfortable show. It's a little bit too of an easy lifestyle. and it's uh, most, maybe, most people would get to this stage in their lives, 40 years old, and get to this stage and go, oh my oh, God, wow, we've hit the nice. jackpot. It's so easy. It's so which it is compared to the other two shows we did. It's it's very much an easy show. So we both began to talk and we said, <laughs> it's it's maybe we're not we're not ready to not shake our lives up just yet. So we've just agreed to go to do a new show in New York City, which will open next year. And we were both, we were both terrified. You know, we were we were talking about it and we're like, okay, this is so not in our in our comfort zone. This is so not going to be easy. This is, uh, you know, we're kind of 40 years old now, maybe we should be settling down. And then we said quite quickly, no, we're not going to. Yeah. Just, be- just because it's difficult, just because it's not in our comfort zone, mm-hmm. that's more the reason for us to do that. Mm-hmm. So only two weeks ago, we, we gave them the green light and we said, yes, we'll move to New York City next year. So we're going to we're going to do a Broadway. So we close to you. Yeah, only only three four hours away. It's actually the show. It's going to be inspired by. It's not Iris, but it's going to be inspired by Iris. But they're going to create it more of a Broadway themed show. Wow. What what is it? What is called? Um, or has uh, it been? Well, the training title is called Lumiere. So that is that's not going to, be, not the going to be the official title. They haven't released the official title yet. Mm. We we always have a training title when we're creating the show, and then obviously just before the show opens, they decide what they're going to call it. Mm. But it's going to be based on the theme that Iris was, but they're going to make it more Broadway singing and dancing, and obviously Kevin and I are going to be incorporated into it. Hopefully, they'll not have us not singing. Too much singing. 
Yeah, we're very, very, very good at expressing ourselves with our bodies. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, yeah. We, we are quite willing to step out of our comfort zone, but I think singing pretty much uh, pushed the level a little bit too much. <laughs> but we'll give it a go. <laughs> we should open up the podcast with you two singing. That would be awesome. Uh, well, I am so excited. What, approximately what time next year? Beginning, mid-year? Uh, yeah, well, the show, we start to create it on January the 5th. And then we'll actually pre- we'll soft premiere, which is basically where we premiere the show, but then we just listen to the audience and maybe tweak it. That gets That's in April the 14th, I think. And then okay. I think we premiere, we premiere in June the 2nd. Wow. Residential that's going to run all year. How do I how do I self select myself to be like the early audience? And yeah, give audience. It? yeah, we'll we'll, we'll, let, you, we'll yeah, let you know. We'll keep you posted. We'll keep you posted. posted for the invite. Oh, I, I should have all the yeah invite all the listeners, and we'll just be so <laughs> yeah. excited to be there. And I'm so I'm so glad you brought up the message, even for myself. You know, I started the podcast when I was 30, and uh, and. It's really difficult at that time. You know, there's a lot of family pressure to say, is everybody else is getting married, having kids? I think yeah. I should be doing that. Well, you know, now, uh, just a year into it, I realize I'm completely comfortable with rejections, meeting people for the first time, asking them anything. It's really beautiful. Yeah. So uh, you, you could, you're absolutely role models for people who are considering just saying, let me just continue through. Let's just be comfortable with what I do now and not accepting on, like, taking on new challenges. That's yeah, so meaningful. Even, even yesterday, some of the artists would come, cause they, all, they got told yesterday that we were believing this show and going doing another show. And many of the artists came up to me, especially because obviously now I've got family. They yeah. say, why, why are you doing this? Uh, and my, my only answer is because everything, everything is telling me not to do it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That, oh. That's one of my biggest reasons because I'm being told not to do it. That I discussed it with my wife, obviously Kevin, yeah. and we decided yes, let's go and do it. Let's jump in. Yeah, it's not, it's not everyone who gets the chance to perform in a Broadway show, so I don't know. We would regret it so much if we didn't do that. Mm. So regardless of what happens and whether it's a success or it's a flop, it really doesn't matter. The fact that we we stepped up and we kind of jumped. Mm-hmm. Let's let's hope we will fly, but. John, so it's something we have to do. Yes, you have to. I, I completely approve <laughs> this message. I, I can't wait. I'm going to be spending a lot of time in New York, hopefully as a result, and I'll be yeah. happy to watch the show multiple times. And I, I am super careful about time. I'll make sure to, to let you guys go um, in five minutes. But one of the questions that I had for my mom's question would be, where do you source your creative inspirations from when you're creating a show? Everywhere, everywhere. Yeah. It's, it's it's crazy. It's like Kevin said when we were creating. Barakai was our first attempt, and obviously we were young then to Cirque, and we were petrified about how we're going to be able to do this. You know, it was it was a lot of pressure for us to create an act with Cirque du Soleil, and it was going to be a standalone act. We didn't know if it was going to work or if it was going to fail. So the only mandate we were given is we want to see a strap act that nobody has ever seen before. Mm-hmm. So then Kevin said to me, we do not look at strap acts. We're going to take our source of inspiration from everywhere apart from strap acts. So I don't even think we really looked at the circus so much. We just we went everywhere. We went to uh, the galleries. We looked in, in art books. You know, we, we did it all. We, we looked at the dance world because 
And that's where the inspiration came from. Because it, it would be far too easy just to look at a strap pack and think, okay, we'll try that, we'll try and modify it slightly. Uh, so yeah, we took it from, I mean, a lot of the images you will see came from art. You know, we'd see a painting and we're like, oh, wow, this is this is beautiful. And if, it, if it's visually beautiful to look at, mm -hmm. then it would be visually beautiful to see two bodies doing the same thing. So we call them the snapshot moments. The snapshot. <laughs> we always, when we're creating something, we always say, okay, there's, there's somebody in the front row that's got, a, you know, like a amazing lens. He's going to take a Andrew used to do the cruelest things to me on their stage because he would recognize if somebody was taking a photograph. And I would be in the most difficult skill, you know, that is quite straining for me. I'd be in the most difficult skill, but Andrew would be looking at this uh, this person in the front row and recognize that he's not quite taking the photograph yet. I would hear that. So it would, it would make me, and I was like going redder and redder and redder, like, Andrew, Andrew. What the hell? I the whole that's so long I went because I was waiting. I was waiting for the photograph. <laughs> oh, this is. It's but so yeah, our, our inspiration it was, and it's you know like Kevin said, we take it from everywhere, and even now we still do. Mm. You know, in our act, we never we never settled, never settled. Yeah. Yeah. We always want to do something new, and every show we've done, we always try and bring something new. Mm -hmm. Yeah, to what we do. Never settled. And times changed. Only times change, and the culture changes, and and what, what people perceive as being beautiful changes too. So we'll always try and, I don't know, it sounds silly, but to listen, listen to the young people, because <laughs> we sound old, <laughs> to listen to the young people, because they, they, they are the ones that show now. So we'll always try and modify what we do to continue with current trends. That's awesome. No, I completely, <laughs> I love that. And, um, to respect your time, I will close on a final question. You're so fun to talk to. I so completely adore you both so much. Um, <laughs> so um, it's, it was getting just a little pixelated uh, for a second. Okay, good. Um, my final question would be, what is your definition of a meaningful and fulfilling life uh, to you, to each one of you? Uh, to me personally, um, I mean, a fulfilling life to me is family. Family will always come first, um, and to have respect and to have um, to have a passion for those people, and to make to make people happy. I think if you're if you're happy in life and happy in yourself, and the people who love you and people who are around you will be happy too. Um, so that's that's my my philosophy on life: very much balance and very much a happy, stress-free life. <laughs> I'm very, 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 very similar. You know, like I want to finish every day with no regrets. I never want to regret in my day. When I go to bed, I want to be happy with that, with what I have done that day. But the most important thing to me now, it was, you know, Cirque du Soleil was always a big, big thing in my life until, you know, I had a family. Mm -hmm. And it's like you mentioned right at the beginning when we did Barakai, I'd never, I never missed a show. You know, I spent, I went on stage every single night, even when I was ill or injured, I went on stage. And the same happened in Iris until I missed my first shows, which was to be there for the birth of my first baby. Oh, wow. so at that point, you know, it, I think Andrew has missed two two shows. I, I don't know how many we've done now, over 6,000. And he, he's, he's missed two. People say to him, my and God, it, you missed the show. I went, yes. I, I have two children. Two children. <laughs> <laughs> it's like... It, that was important to me that I was there with my wife at that moment. Wow. <laughs> well, then I'm like, right, can I go? <laughs> right back to the show. 
So like, so I was like, as soon as the baby was born, I'm like, okay, sweetie, I'm off. Oh. <laughs> it's amazing. Wow, thank you. I am so inspired, and you have forever changed my life. And uh, thank you so much for your time. Uh, I so look forward to doing nothing else today but to work on this, compiling yeah. it, and uh, to share with the world. You've said so much more to me than I think you've said to any media outlet. So I feel so privileged to be here. Cool. Yeah, thank, thank you very much yeah. for taking the time to talk to us. We have fun. Yeah, we have a lot more to talk about. <laughs> I hope, yeah, because I hope one day you get to see us perform because we can talk about it and talk about the relationship between us both. But until you see it mm -hmm. uh, up in the sky, you never really know. Like I said, you saw the performers in Barakai, but I don't think they were brothers. No, they're not brothers. Mm -hmm. There's a difference. Mm -hmm. There is a difference. There's an intimacy there that cannot be replicated between, I don't think, us. Well, people tell us that, so I hope you get to see us one day perform live. Yeah, I, I will. I, I promise you I will, multiple times. We we'll promise we'll make you cry. <laughs> <laughs> I will. I did already. It sounds great. Um, yeah. Please reach out anytime, and I'll keep you posted on the progress. I will. Too. Yeah. Oh, lovely. Thank you very much. This episode of the Face World podcast is brought to you by Face World LLC our marketing service agency created for independent creators and businesses. We offer website development, video production, marketing mentorship to people who want to tell better stories, level up, and create a profitable brand. Face World Podcast team, our chief editor and producer, Herman Ceballos, associate producer, Adam Leffert, social media and content manager, Rose De Leon, transcript editor, Alina, Ahmidova, and lastly, myself, the creator and host of FaZe World. Thank you so much for listening. <laughs>